Welcome to This Week in California Education, brought to you by EdSource Radio. I'm Lewis Friedberg. And I'm John Finsterwald. Well, this week, many California students completed their fifth week sheltering in place at home amid some rays of sunshine, as Governor Gavin Newsom described it. The projected deaths due to the coronavirus had not reached the peaks that many in the state had projected. But the governor made it clear that schools will not reopen this school year. And he said when they open in the fall, it might be under very different conditions. The key will be to maintain social distancing in the schools that Californians have maintained in public. It's not easy because schools aren't made for that. And it will be difficult for students who really want the normalcy of just being around each other. Some of the options might be staggering the starts of schools or having sessions one in the morning and one in the afternoon. That's the way it was done in the 90s when there was overcrowding. Other options are like ensuring students don't congregate for meals in schools and banning school assemblies and eliminating recess and and other things. John, you know, I wrote about this this week for EdSource, and many people commented on the story, many parents and teachers, very skeptical that schools could actually be run under those conditions. But on the other hand, parents and teachers and students do want to get back to school. So something is going to have to be figured out. And there's a lot of discussion going on about how actually this could be done. In the meantime, distance learning is proceeding in school districts around the state with great variations in what is being offered, both in terms of quality and quantity. One thing that all teachers are facing is the recognition that many students are feeling anxious and as stressed out as their parents may be. In fact, schools and teachers are facing huge challenges in addressing the mental health needs of students in addition to their educational needs. Schools have already been focusing on this issue to a far greater extent than they had before. But obviously doing so with kids learning remotely when they aren't even in the classroom presents even greater challenges. We thought we'd speak with Cindy Martin, who's a superintendent of San Diego Unified. With 100,000 students, it's the state's second largest district. We asked her how her district is able to address the emotional well-being of students while they are sheltering in place at home. If a school or a school system is waiting until this COVID-19 crisis to begin to address mental health supports for students, it's going to be very difficult. This has been something San Diego Unified as a school district has been looking at, and I know a lot of systems have been looking at the needs to be able to help students' mental health needs in the context of the classroom. The way we talk about it is you can't teach them until you reach them. And when you can't reach a student, you are not able to have them access the academic content and you can't start with that. So put that mental mindset into this virtual learning platform that we're in now, that when we turn on a lesson and you begin learning in the cloud, the online platform, whatever interface you're using, if you just jump right into the lesson and you don't start with a, how's it going? What's happening in your family? Start with that whole child approach. You're not going to be able to teach them. So let me ask you then, I mean, you are working with your teachers, trying to get them prepared for their formal rollout of your distant learning program, which I gather starts on April 27th. Is this something that you are talking with your teachers about how to be sensitive to what's going on there in terms of the social and emotional health of your students? Yes, absolutely. The approach that we're using and getting started with our students during this soft launch period, very clear guidance to our counselors and to our teachers and our principals and all manner of support staff using this three-week period to connect to the students 
literally and figuratively. Check in with them. Find out what their family situation is. Do they have the computer they need? Do they have the internet access do they need? You could start with that, but do they have food? Did both parents lose a job and they don't have a source of income at this point? What community resources can we connect them to so that when we start with the online virtual learning in full form on April 27th, we've worked through some of those things that could be preventative of students accessing what they need. It's those kinds of things that we're giving clear direction on. And I think that is how we move forward. What kind of system of support will you have in place once you actually go to distance learning and perhaps teachers identify issues and where do they go with that and what do they do next? Every school now has an action team that is assigned to that school that includes the counselor and several different staff members from all over the district, the mental health professionals, the student and youth and transition professionals. So every principal now has a suite of professionals that are there to help problem solve the individual needs that are coming up as we contact families and connect to them. We want it to be very personalized and humanized, that everybody has a role to play in getting our kids connected and ready to learn. You are a teacher and a principal. What's the message that you would like for teachers to have to ease the anxiety and stress that students may be feeling? As a teacher, I was a teacher for 17 years, and at this moment, we all need to model resilience critical and creative thinking, thoughtful responsiveness, and empathy to ensure that students continue to grow personally and academically. And the teachers understand the stance. They know the situations that our kids might be facing on a day-to-day basis in the classroom, the challenges they face. And those could be magnified during these times. And we want to have empathy for our adults. The teachers are in stressful situations and for the students and their families and meet this moment in a way that we're understanding with compassion what's going on with everybody. Just to clarify how this might work, I mean, if the student is online, the teacher has some concerns, would there be follow-up after the student signs off? So if you see a student in class who's in crisis, you don't just move on and just don't do anything. You follow up. Well, when you see a student in crisis, let's say you log on to the lesson. We're saying, don't just jump right into the math lesson. Look at your students. You're going to have some signals. And when students signal that there's a need, we need to be on the other end. So we have teachers now following up. If something's happening, there's a crisis team that's able to respond depending on what that concern is. And that's from a discipline perspective. If we have students that are not engaging in the lesson or causing a disruption to the class and it's in the virtual setting, we're not going straight to discipline. We're going underneath the root cause. What's happening for you right now? So there'll be a conversation taken offline or maybe still online. It'll be a phone call where we reach out to that student and that family saying, we noticed something didn't seem right today. What's going on with you? Help us understand. How can we help you? And interestingly, I haven't seen this noted before or brought up, but when you're talking online with students, the teachers might actually get some sense of what's going on in the home. Actually, you might have a better idea than you would if the student was in the classroom. That's a very real thing that we've already come to terms with and that it's allowing us to see things that we may not have already seen. And, you know, we have an obligation to support no matter what happens. And maybe school is a safe place. They leave a tough situation at home and they come to school as a safe haven And that physical environment's closed, but we want to still be here for our children. Our children are looking out and they're seeing everything is closed in the city. The churches are closed. The parks are closed. The libraries are closed. This is why San Diego Unified wanted to get back 
to learning as quickly as possible because we are that one place that the students can connect something familiar, create a sense of routine when everything else has gone around them. We are still open. Well, thank you so much. We've been talking with uh, Superintendent Cindy Martin from San Diego Unified School District. Thanks for thanks so much for talking with us today. And really, you have a huge task on your hands. So we wish you just a tremendous amount of luck on behalf of the students in San Diego, but also throughout California. Thanks for speaking with us today. Thank you. We're all in this together. We have to take good care of each other. We've been talking about how students and counselors can identify and respond to students who are feeling stressed. EdSource has actually been asking students to tell us directly how they're feeling and what they're experiencing. EdSource has published selections from journals that students from Granite Bay High School near Sacramento have been keeping while they've been sheltering in place, and we asked several to share an excerpt. You'll hear from Ashley Lucia, Sean Turner, and J.J. Hill. We need confidence and compassion from our leaders, but as the crisis grows, so does the inefficiency. It's a wild time to be alive, but honestly, I can't wait for this to be in the history books and for the next generations to learn from our leaders' mistakes. My main worry comes from the safety of my mom. She's 61 and she's really scared of the whole virus. She talked to me today about how to access accounts and like sell our house in the event of her dying, which of course made me scared too. Hopefully none of that is necessary. Stuck inside of my house constantly, I'm losing track of the time and the date. It doesn't feel right that my birthday was only two days ago, but here I am. I just hope that it doesn't turn into some form of dissociation for myself. It's just the last thing I want. We'll hear a few more of those journal entries a little later in the episode. Well, John, some kids need more intense interventions than teachers and school counselors have the resources or the experience to provide. Many districts partner with mental health agencies and nonprofit organizations that specialize in providing the care that these students need. One of those agencies is Seneca Family of Agencies, headquartered in the Bay Area, but it has 1,600 employees working in districts around the state. We have on the line Robin Detterman. Seneca's Executive Director of School Partnerships. Welcome, Robin. Hello, thanks for having me. So tell us, what is it that Seneca does in its work with schools, and who do you serve? In our education program specifically, we partner with schools and districts to provide services to students who have some of the most intensive needs. So in particular, it's mental health services, behavior support, special education, case management, and other related services. What's important to note is that often these students are some of the students who have the most intensive needs in schools, students who have qualified for an IEP and or have existing mental health needs. Of course, the IEP is the individualized education plan that uh, special ed kids get, right? That's correct, yes. Um, In addition, we do also training for teachers and work around culture and climate development and activities that support staff wellness. Robin, I did want to ask you the extent to which you integrate your work with what school districts are doing and with what teachers are doing. Are you like partnering with them or are you kind of an add-on? How how, how does that work? So we work very closely with schools and school districts and school leadership. And in many cases, we're expanding that work given the breadth of this crisis. 
I think one of the key things that is most concerning to us right now is not just the wellness of our students, but also wellness of teachers. I think teachers are juggling a tremendous amount right now. And as our teams are working in schools and with districts, developing new ways to support teachers and their own wellness as they're struggling to overcome this challenge as well. So Robin, how have the issues changed that the students are facing during school closure? And how has Seneca adapted to that in a virtual relationship? You know, I think what we're seeing in schools is that children who have these specialized needs are um, perhaps not surprisingly children who often struggle to access school in general. Many of the children we serve are children who've experienced high levels of trauma. They're children who have had disruptions previously in their lives, or they're children who have specialized learning needs. And so when we think about what it means for them to access school only through a virtual platform, it creates a whole other set of challenges. What we also know is that these are kids who rely on relationship and connection to the adults in their community to be successful at school. And predictability and consistency in the classroom environment. And this time has really been anything but predictable. So I think that's really meant that our teams have had to provide a shift and um, change the way that we think about what we do while maintaining those same underlying values of, of consistency, predictability, connection, and relationship in the work. So does this mean basically doing therapy sessions online? I mean, is it just transferring that? Or are you going to have to do something significantly different to engage students uh, and maybe do things you couldn't do in just sitting in school or in the classroom? Uh, give us some idea of what, yeah. what, how this works. So to some extent, our work is to continue the support for the specialized needs of children in schools. So our teams are already existing in schools and they have a caseload of students that they work with. What it's come to is thinking about how those teams continue to provide the supports that they need in new ways. And for many of those kids, the first thing that they need is stability in their home environment. Their families are facing incredible stress in this time, whether that be because they're lacking food resources, employment has been disrupted, they have family working as frontline workers, or they are in difficult living circumstances, either many family members living in one place or kind of just the stresses of the economic situation that our larger communities are in. And so I think in order to be able to get to that more in-depth clinical work, a lot of what our teams have been able to do and work to be able to do is help families meet their basic resource needs, whether that's connecting to food services in the community and or um, accessing employment resources. Wellness is really what our teams are looking to create and the foundations of wellness, of health, and of connection and community are the, are the basis of that. Can you tell us of an innovative way or a creative way that you've done this therapy or approach virtually that, that, you, that yeah. you couldn't do before? You know, I continue to be blown away by the innovations of, of our staff and, and our teams who are in the field and working directly with schools and with, with students. I was just talking to a staff member the other day who had sent a therapy box home to a student's household that had Play-Doh and craft supplies so that they could engage in the same activity together across the computer screen. And another clinician who talked about how she was continuing her family work by creating activities the family could do together. Um, In one circumstance, she had baked a cake in her kitchen while they baked in their kitchen, and they were able to navigate those family dynamics over the course of the propped up computer screen in the kitchen. 
you know, I think it's also thinking differently about what therapy looks like, you know, in a traditional school setting, therapy is uh, 50 minutes, maybe pulled out of the classroom in a specialized setting. And it may mean breaking up those episodes throughout the day. So it may mean talking with a a child and their family first thing in the morning over the phone, doing a a midday check-in, talking to them mid-afternoon and and navigating a sibling rivalry that's happening in the home, and then, you know, kind of checking in on the day later in the evening before bedtime. And so just really a shift in how services have been provided and the kinds of support our staff is able to offer. Talking with Robin Dedeman from Seneca, a nonprofit agency based in Oakland, but you do work in other parts of the state? Yeah, Seneca is a broad organization. We have about 1,600 employees across the state in education, mental health, and social service. Who is paying for this? Is this the state or foundations? I think a large portion of our funding for mental health work comes through our county partners. And normally that funding is billed on a a Medi-Cal per minute to minute basis. And our our county partners have been incredibly generous in extending their support to cover the kind of existing needs that are in communities related to mental health and wellness. And boards of supervisors and county mental health departments have risen to that challenge to be able to ensure that families and students have support to address their most critical needs. That was Robin Dedeman of Seneca Family of Agencies. John, I have to say, after hearing from both Robin and Cindy Martin, I'm just struck by the enormity of the challenge they face in reaching students during this difficult time. But I'm also impressed by the resourcefulness that both of them describe amongst teachers and those charged with tending to students' mental health. Yeah, no question, Lewis. I agree with you. It's a big challenge, and teachers and counselors are learning on the fly Hopefully, they're sharing what works best with their colleagues. Yeah, that's one thing that Linda Darling-Hammond has stressed, uh, president of the State Board of Education, that one of the real key things is for people to be sharing what works and sharing resources, and hopefully that will happen. Before we go, let's hear from three more Granite Bay High School students reading from their journals. This time, we'll hear from Corinne Kaplinger, May Lin, and Dylan Rowe. I've stopped being as sad about graduation and senior ball. I've even begun to realize that there will be an end to this madness, that things will return to normal, that everyone will be well again, and that life will move on even if it doesn't quite seem like it right now. Things are getting calmer now as I'm getting, you know, used to what's happening. I just started working out, following YouTube videos like from Chloe Ting, and I forgot how much I miss playing sports, um, especially water polo, and releasing my stress through exercising. My whole life I've taken my freedom for granted. Now that I'm actually mandated to stay inside and away from society, I have no idea what to do with myself. The worst part of it all is that we don't know when everything is going to be back to normal. So what the hell am I supposed to do without any motivation? And that wraps it up for this week's podcast. Thanks to our sponsors, the S.D. Bechtel Jr. Foundation and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Our producer is Kobe MacDonald. Our music is from Nate Schwartz Jazz Orchestra and its source's own Justin Allen. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Lewis Friedberg. And I'm John Fensterwald. Thanks for listening. And stay well. Take care, and we'll be back next week. Bye.